Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads. From the eye in the sky. This is Seattle Overload. Seattle Overload. With your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go. Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast where Griffin and I are doing another preview and we've got a guest to do that. The Seahawks travel to the Baltimore Ravens in week 9, 10 a.m. start. They've been pretty successful with those early starts of late. But it's a massive matchup against Baltimore. And we've got the perfect guest to look ahead to that game. NFL analyst at the 33rd team. Quarterback charting for reception perception. NFL draft work for Bleach Report. That's a heck of a heck of a um, acc- accolades. Um also, I did previously write for the New York Times and Football Outsiders, rest in peace, great site, and cracked video games player. Uh, I mean, I'm bad at video games, but uh, this guy in particular makes me look even worse. Also tweets about League of Legends and stuff like that. So, Derek Clarson, how are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I, I have to say the last achievement is probably uh, the one I'm most proud of. So, all, all the other football stuff, that's cool. That's fine. Being being a good gamer, that that's what keeps me up. That's what yeah. that's what gets me up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but power rankings of the podcast. I think uh, Derek number one uh, video games. Uh, Griffin number two, and then Matthew Brown number three. <laughs> unless it's NCAA fourteen. Uh, I right. might be at the bottom of that. I'm actually not very good at, at uh, the Madden and NCAA's as I should be for someone who writes about football for a living. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always been bad at sport sports video games. I just I, I I couldn't pick up the stick skills for it for whatever reason. But yeah, that's that's my excuse for first person shooters and and being bad at them. Okay, Derek. Obviously, you cover the NFL from a national perspective, and you are, as we'll get to, the perfect guest for Baltimore. But before that, what's your impression of the Seattle Seahawks from afar? I mean, overall, like, I think there's a tier of teams in the NFC that are not, like, the actual contenders, but are still really, really good. Like, I think the Eagles, and even though the last couple weeks have been weird for the 49ers, I would still put them in that, like, they are who you would expect to be in the championship game. But then there's kind of a group after that that I think if they ended up in the championship game, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, The Lions are in there. Obviously, I think the Seahawks are in there. The Cowboys are in there. So I think the Seahawks are kind of in that tier. Their defense has been playing 
better than I thought they were going to coming into the season. I was a little bit worried about um, Jaron Reed in particular. I, I thought that was not going to solve anything, but he's actually been kind of good. <laughs> um, I think the secondary has been has been um, a little bit better than I thought. Like Devin Witherspoon, basically being like a top fifteen corner out of the gate, I think has been huge for them, and he he's been able to do it a little bit. Um, from the inside and outside, which I think is crazy. And then offensively, I think they're they're what we thought they were going to be coming into the year, where they're a top 10 offense. They're not quite elite. Geno gives you so much in terms of aggressive downfield passing that really a lot of other quarterbacks don't give you. And then the run game, I do think, has been better, but it's still a little bit – it can be hit or miss because, you know, they've had some offensive line issues. And it, Ken Walker is fantastic, but there are times when he, he, he likes to be a little bit creative when maybe he shouldn't be, but – Overall, I think this is, while they can be a little bit of a frustrating team at times, they're still, to me, one of the top 10 NFL teams. And again, if they ended up in the NFC Championship game, it, it wouldn't be very surprising to me. Yeah, I think that matches our assessment, doesn't it, Griff? With the yeah. the Jaron Reed stuff, we were like, yikes. But it's kind of crazy <laughs> how the scheme they're running this year on defense, literally just changing up tech two techniques up front, basically, has revitalized the whole thing and now they've gone and got Leonard Williams. So the concerns over maybe being a bit light up front have uh, been alleviated midway through the season as well. So that's nuts. And yeah, offensively, Griff, pretty similar. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how about Baltimore, Derek? Because this looks like, um, I mean, as I said at the start, a massive matchup. They're... Um, could could finish given the Chiefs' struggles, and we'll have to see how that shakes out. But it could finish as the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah, that I think they're like a half tier better than the Seahawks, maybe a full tier. Like I, I just think this Ravens team is insane. They, to me, probably have the best defense in the league. Um, just schematically, I th you know we're going to talk about yeah. it a little bit, but schematically, I think some of the stuff they're doing is is unbelievable. Like they're one of those defenses where, I mean, like last year with with um, D'Amico Ryan's in San Francisco, it just felt like. With when a defensive coordinator is really cooking, it just feels like he's pressing the right button on every single play, and that's kind of what it feels like in Baltimore. Even though they don't really have, I mean, they have some good players, but there are a couple guys who are starting for them. Like they're getting good play out of like Arthur Millette. Like they don't really have that many good pass rushers. Like right. Jadavion Clowney looks like he's the, the best that he's ever played. Yeah. Um, Patrick Queen is good now. Like Geno Stone is like randomly kind of a good safety net. Like they're just getting these guys who you typically Kyle Van Noy is somehow good again like they're just getting these guys who haven't are either unproven or have kind of bounced around the league a bit a little bit the past few years they're getting like legitimately really good play out of them and I think they're just putting them in really good spots and then offensively I think people wanted it to be like an instant fireworks show um, because we were yeah. uh, you know shedding the shackles of Greg Roman um, and I just think that that was probably like a little bit too optimistic. I think really all we needed to get to was to like get this to an average looking like a normal passing offense. And I think they've done that. And Jackson, I think Lamar Jackson has played unbelievable ball this year. Like I think he's probably second or third best quarterback in terms of MVP rankings. I would probably put him first just in terms of what he's doing. But um, and they've been a little bit frustrating at times, too. But I just think the firepower that Jackson brings with a little bit of the improvements elsewhere they've had, especially a pass catcher. Like to me, this is their top seven, eight unit on both sides of the ball. So that's, um, I love that point about how uh, a, a def defensive coordinator when a defense is popping, it feels like they're pushing all of the right buttons. Like 
that even the plays where you they could encounter problems, they you know like the a pressure will bail them out, or the quarterback mm-hmm. will get moved off his spot, and you're like, ah, there's no problem there, or that you know the the quarterback will look to the other side. Yeah, they can do no wrong, and I mean that's testament to what Mike McDonald's doing. I'm excited to talk about that later. So, uh, Griff, anything else on that, or should we should we get into the offense? Well, I, mean, I I agree with Derek's characterizations. I do think that the Ravens are a, a tier above Seattle. That's what the Seahawks are trying to strive to be or to catch up to. Um, this will be a really good measuring stick for where they do stand in the NFC if they can take on a team like the Ravens, even even make it close. Uh, maybe you feel better about where they stand with San Francisco and Philly, but it's, it's still. The Seahawks right now and their trajectory, they're still trying to climb the mountain, so to speak. So, um, I mean, I, I would lean toward Ravens in general for this game. Uh, but, yeah, Maddie, let's uh, let's dive into one side of the ball a little more uh, in depth. Yeah, so as I said, Derek does do NFL draft work for Bleacher Report. And I remember the timeline when Lamar Jackson was coming out of uh, Louisville. Uh, <laughs> weird to forget that. Uh, the, it was quite divisive. There was a lot of discussion over Lamar Jackson, uh, whether he was a pocket quarterback, whether he could operate from the pocket, a lot of kind of nonsense around that. And Derek was fairly high on Lamar coming out to, to his credit, and he's one of the best ones out there for that sort of stuff. So Derek, how does your view of Lamar compare, uh, you know, from your pre-draft look to where he's at in this point after so many years in the NFL, being an MVP in the NFL, having a bit of a down uh period with his offense and now having a new OC I, I really liked how um in your 33rd team article you described him as a real deal pocket genius who also happens to run like Michael Vick so maybe that's a bit of a spoiler preemptive but uh yeah where's he at Eric? yeah I mean to me he he's kind of always been that I mean he he's not been like executing consistently at this level obviously he's playing probably the best ball that he's ever played in his career um but coming out of college I think that was such a misunderstood thing about him is that people thought because he did all of the you know he could run for a thousand yards in the season it it felt like people pigeonholed him into that's all that he was but I remember during that draft cycle and I don't know if I like tweeted it or if it was like an article or whatever but I posted a bunch of clips of him and Josh Rosen running all of the same concepts yep and lamar was running them better and i was like why is this one guy why is josh rosen heralded as this like he's a pro ready pocket passer blah blah blah, all this stuff and people were like ah lamar you know it's going to take him years to develop and you know he he maybe has to switch positions it was like if you watch what he's doing he might look weird in terms of like you know his footwork was kind of off at louisville at times and he's obviously a really skinny guy which you don't see at the quarterback position all that much but like in terms of the stuff that he was doing on pure passing downs, like his eyes were phenomenal. His pocket movement was phenomenal. He he rarely made the wrong read. Um, he was making a lot of really tough throws into tight windows. And like he had some sprays, like especially outside the numbers. I would say that's probably the area he's improved the most as an NFL passer is being able to throw outside the numbers. So like mm-hmm. he had some sprays in college. But my take on that was like his his misses just looked worse than other quarterbacks because he throws the ball so damn hard. And so, like, when he misses, it just flies over a guy's head. Like, Justin Herbert has this problem. Cam Newton has this problem where it, like, visually feels worse when they miss than it does when, like, Mac Jones misses. Like, Mac Jones will probably kind of put it in the area, even if it's a bad pass. But it, that yeah. doesn't feel like it's as as damaging. So, um, but, yeah, all of that is to say that Lamar was always a pocket passer. And really what we've seen over the past 
five, six years, however long he's been in the NFL, is he's just continually gotten, continually gotten better. Like, he was already a good pocket manager. Now he's fantastic. He was already good at understanding how to read the offense. Now he's even better, especially now that he has an offense that kind of lets him show it. Um, and he's more accurate than he's ever been. Like, he's just – I mean, Lamar is, is fantastic. I could go on all day. Yeah. So, so uh, Derek, with that, as you mentioned, with Nelly, he's in an offense that is, you know – a real offense. So what, what has been the main theme in your mind in the transition going from Greg Roman to, to Todd Munkin and how that meshes with, with Lamar? Yeah. I mean, the thing is like <laughs> the Ravens don't even do that much cool stuff on, on offense in terms of, uh, you know, what they're doing, throwing the ball. Like they kind of just still get it. They do a lot of what is just like normal sound football where they just get in 11. We're going to spread it out a little bit with our three talented receivers. We're going to mm -hmm. use some of the speed that we have to stretch the field a little bit. And that's that like, um, and they'll run some screens and stuff, but like, it, it's just that it feels more like a legitimate passing offense. Whereas instead with Greg Roman, they were in 12 and 22 personnel all the time. And then they would try to run like a bunch of stick with like Patrick Ricard or, or <laughs> some backup tight end. And it's like, what is the point of this? Like right. it doesn't, it was all for the service of having a good run game to get those bodies on the field. But like, Lamar Jackson is the quarterback. The run game is going to be pretty good to a certain degree, um, no matter what you do. And so I think uh, really all that they've done is kind of just gotten into a lot of just more basic sound passing concepts from like 11 and really just let Lamar read the field um, and, and give him some full like drop back, full progression reads, which, like I said, he was doing it at Louisville. Um, it, it was a pro offense that he was running under Bobby Petrino. And so the fact that he's actually able to show that now, I think it's just it was always there. It just needed, it just needed to be unlocked. Sure. Yeah. In that 33rd team article I referenced, which Derek wrote on the, the, the Ravens offense, which you should check out. Cause it was after week seven, when they, they blew out the lions and the offense kind of got it going. You mentioned how they're doing like the easy yardage, um, but also um, testing the discipline of, uh, of defenses doing a bit of everything, but it, it, it kind of seems fairly basic, which, I guess is exciting because down the line, if they need to, they can add more layers and, 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 and juice it up a bit. Yeah, I would say that. And honestly, it feels a little bit like they are a game planning offense, if that makes sense. Like, I, I don't really like when you talk about the Dolphins or the Lions to a certain degree or the 49ers, like or even the Falcons, like they kind of just do what they do. Like they run the offense. Whereas, uh, whereas I think with the Ravens, we've seen they're a little bit more willing to bend when they need to, like mm -hmm. there have been games where they've gotten a little bit heavier and tried to run the ball um, and be that style of offense. But I think generally they've wanted to spread it out a little bit more. The Lions game, I think was the best game that they've called all, all season. Like you mentioned, uh, or, I mean, like I wrote, like they were doing a really, really good job of testing the discipline of, of really the, the, the defensive ends and like the linebackers of just doing a good job of like doing a lot of sides to, side to side stuff, testing them with play action, um, hitting a couple of RPOs, like really just, it felt like every single play was making somebody think for a half second longer. And when you do that over the course of the game successfully, by like the second or third quarter, everyone's head is just spinning and they don't want to go react to anything. And so a player like Lamar Jackson is going to take advantage of that every time. Um, but I do mention the game planning stuff because like this past week against the Cardinals, they yeah. didn't really do anything. Like <laughs> they kind of yeah. just like ran all your vanilla passing concepts from spread. They ran probably too many screens than they should have ran. Um, they had one real like bizarre empty concept that they called that just got immediately gloved up. And I think Lamar almost threw a pick. So like 
it feels like they're a little bit volatile in that sense of like not having a true, true offensive identity like some of yeah. the um, actual elite offenses. But at the end of the day, Lamar is just so good that like if they can get over the certain bar of being okay, he's he's going to carry them. And and does it feel like Monk Munkin has like more meat on the bone that he hasn't really got into yet? Do you think it's a case of him trying to figure out his skill set still a little bit on the fly? I think definitely, especially too because. I think it's like kind of hard to pinpoint like what Odell Beckham does very well at this point. Like he's yeah. kind of a functional receiver, but he doesn't really have a calling card the way that he used to. Like he can't really go up for contested catches the way that he used to mm-hmm. and do acrobatic stuff. And he's not, he doesn't really have as much juice as he does or as he did, you know, in, in with the giants. So I think yeah. they've a little bit struggled, like figuring out exactly how they want to use him. And then that on just on top of like they've had injuries with some of their main receivers. Like I think Rashad Bateman was supposed to really be a big focal point in this offense. He missed yeah. some time early. Um, he looked great the past uh, this past week. Like he looked really fast, which I think is, is good. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's definitely some meat on the bone just in terms of um, figuring out what they want to do with some of the skill players, which, which again, like. I knew Lamar Jackson could do this, but you also have to like remember that because he wasn't doing this for the past four or five years, there there is like a little bit of you know finding what he really wants to be comfortable with too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think from a Seahawks perspective, we always enjoy or enjoys maybe not the correct word, but we we find it we're sick and we find it uh, interesting seeing a team who is that kind of game plan style offense, and maybe if the Ravens are trying to find more meat on the bone too of like exposing seattle weaknesses to the which then seattle can correct hopefully down the line i mean bobby wagner um what he's asked (laughs) to do and and how that is uh attacked may may be interesting this week uh i don't know how often i was was talking to griff actually uh how often do they release the running back in the pattern like as a fast three because the way that the Seahawks play coverage um, in middle field open, Wagner is like, who, if we're going to push out with that, is Wagner going to push? Because it seems schematically he kind of just sits in that middle hook while other players kind of push and, and get tight to things. But then also in middle field close, they'd have real issues with like Julian Love handling uh, the, the kind of rub nature of that. Um, yeah, they've had various issues with the running back coming out of the backfield. Um, is that something the Ravens do or... I could have looked that up. I mean, not as much just because of, uh, again, they've had attrition at the position. Like their their top running back for the whole season has been Gus Edwards. And Gus Edwards is awesome, but not for that reason. <laughs> you know, he, he's a yeah. guy who you smash between the tackles and that's really all they want to do with him. Um, a, a lot of the stuff like the Ravens feel more like a team where like if they're going to use the back on a passing play, in a sense, it's either they're going to RPO and just kind of take him out of the equation or they're going to yeah. keep him in protection and kind of let Lamar be his own check down in a sense, because right. I think Lamar just has such a good sense of when a play is dead. And he's obviously like the fastest quarterback in the NFL, so he can just go make a play. And so I think th- they're a team that's kind of more interested in using their backs in that way. Yeah, see, right. he's he's rushed like around 70 times already. So he's, he's still, like you said, he can still run like Mike Vick. Um, and again, that's concerning with Seattle's speed on the field I mean it's kind of that battle of how much dime can they play and yet um Bobby Wagner's still still in the middle of that so I don't mean to crap on Bobby Wagner too much here but it'll be interesting to see if Seattle has a different solution for that maybe Jamal Adams is 
and Jordan Brooks, they're, they're used to kind of pay extra attention to Lamar's ability when the play breaks down uh, with coverage techniques and tools syncing up with that. I have to see. Uh, so you kind of touched on the receivers, Derek, but it it looks kind of stacked on paper, but then it's like, it how stacked is it? Zay Jones kind of emerged first, right? Their first round pick. Um, flowers. Z- Zay Flowers. <laughs> I do this too. I, I do this yeah. all the time. I don't, I don't know what it is. I, there's just I, only there's so like many two people guys Zay. called Zay in the league and, <laughs> yeah. and they're both I've receivers been, um, and there's an S Gino. involved. What? I've been calling Gino DK recently, so I've got no excuse. Yeah, that's, that's why, really weird. <laughs> I have, I, no, don't, I have no there's idea. There's something in your uh, conscience which connects them, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not sure what. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because you're not, you're not a, you're not a DK apologist, really. Yeah, I'm a DK neutral guy. Anyway, not, not to derail. <laughs> anyway, not to, not to derail this. Um, Zay Flowers kind of uh, emerged as the first guy who's getting like manufactured touches and stuff, and it's cool how they're getting him involved. You've already spoke about Odell and the. Like, what is he currently? Um, Bateman uh, coming out was so exciting. I know a lot of people liked him on draft Twitter. And then injuries kind of killed him, didn't they? And then they had all those drops going on in the receiver position, which then seems to have cleaned up a bit. Like, Nelson Aguilar's a thing, kind of. Yeah, like, what's like what's going on there? Like, what Yeah, what's the deal inside? there? He's not... Uh, he, Nelson Aguilar is, like, not bad. And that's the thing. When when okay. Nelson Aguilar is your fourth receiver, you're, you're probably in a pretty good spot. Like Because, like, he, he has some real speed, and, like, he can kind of get open every now and then, even if he's a little inconsistent, a little bit sloppy. Um, but I think you make a good point, though. Like, when you look at the names and the pedigree of all these players, you're like, wow, this should be insane. Um but it's not, and like I think they're, a, I think they're a quality receiving core, yeah. and really that's all that, like the offensive coordinator thing, like that's all they needed to get to. Like last year, they didn't have anything, especially when Bateman um, wasn't healthy. Like they were giving an ungodly amount of targets to Devin Duvernay, which that's not a good spot to be in when you're in offense. Um, and so I think just kind of getting to to average in that sense was really really good for them. Like none of these guys to me are like true you build the ship around them type of receivers. Like I think Bateman can be pretty good when he's running like isolated routes. Like he's a really good, like slant curl um, dig type of runner. He has enough speed and enough route running chops to do that type of stuff, but he's not like physically dominant. And and so I think that's why you might have reservations about him being like a true X number one receiver. Um, You know, when you think about like a Jamar chase or whatever, and then Zay flowers, the speed and quickness is absolutely crazy. And he's a guy who they wanted to feed touches. He's getting all the gadget touches that Devin Duvernay got last year, which is huge because yeah. he's just a much better player. Um, but even Flowers, I think, comes with with some problems where like he's really only kind of good on these routes where he's able to stride out. Um, he's really good down the field. Like he, he can burn. He runs exceptionally fast. Um, and he's really good if they can get him on some of the crossers they've gotten him on. Like I think there was one against the lions that they caught him on that was that was really nice and he's good at that type of stuff but in terms of just going like toe to toe especially if he's in press or if he's up against the uh, up against the sideline like he just i mean he's a smaller guy and like uh, most of those guys unless you're steve smith which he's not are just going to have trouble with that and so i think that's been part of their problem too and then i already kind of touched on odell being a little bit of like a jack of all master of none at this point so they have functional receivers it's just there's not like a guy where you're like this is the reason we're going to, you know, struggle as a passing right, offense right. type of thing. Now is, is I noticed Mark Andrews production is down a little bit. Is that because is he having 
say a down year or is it just because there are more targets to get the ball to now or is, is he still functioning the same way with Lamar? he and Lamar have had as you know a crazy connection over the years yeah I, I think it's just there's more targets to go around like there's just more people to to get to the ball to like you said yeah. like I think Mark Andrews is still as as good as he's been he's gonna have one frustrating drop every game probably mm. somewhere between the 10 and 30 yard line uh, but yeah. other than that, he's still like one of the top, you know, five or six tight ends in the league. And I think in right. particular, his, you know, you, you mentioned this, like his chemistry that he had. I mean, the touchdown they connected on, um, I don't remember. I think it was this week against the Cardinals um, where Andrews is running like an over route into the end zone. And like he and Lamar kind of just have a good feel for where space is to be. So Andrews just cuts off his route and Lamar finds him with this really weird uh, with the arm angle. And that's just kind yeah. of a, a thing that those two have it's not quite like Mahomes and Kelsey but it, it's a very like unique uh relationship yeah. and so he's still very much like the reason this passing offense goes there's just more dudes who can actually do sure. something around him now sure sure so you had I haven't uh had have, have your latest quarterback rankings this week come out the the week yeah yeah week nine. okay so yep. where is Lamar Jackson now because I know you uh following the previous week you had him third behind Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Is he still third or? Yeah, he, he's still third to me. And what I will say is I I think I had him third coming into the year, um, which I think people were surprised by because, again, like you mentioned, um, you know, a few minutes ago, he Lamar kind of had a down stretch. To me, it wasn't a Lamar down stretch. It was just like the offense it can't function. Right, but uh, this prior it seems his prior, right. like like we've seen with Seattle's quarterback, uh, priors are mm-hmm. quite hard to shake sometimes for certain people. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think he he battled some of that. And so I, I had him three coming into the year. But what I'll say is, to me, coming into the season, it was like Patrick is is tier of his own, and then there's Josh Allen who is like kind of in a tier of his own below that. And then to me, it was like Lamar Jackson, yeah. Justin Herbert, um, like Trevor, Joe Burrow, kind of in that next tier. I think Lamar is like in the Allen tier now. Um, and really, I think he's been a more consistent player than Allen this year. I, I yeah. still think Allen's like truly best games are a little bit more special and a little bit more terrifying. But I, I think Lamar is, is basically as good as Josh Allen right now. And if there's a point in the season where I put Lamar at two over Allen, I, I won't be surprised. Like, I think he's, he's playing at an unbelievable level. There you go. Now, I know they've had a fumbling issue uh, on offense. Uh, I think they've got they've got 14 fumbles on the season, which is the third most, which is uh, crazy. Seattle, but Seattle, by the way, not to tempt fate here, but probably tempting fate. They only have three, which is the the lowest total in the league. So there's going to be some variance inevitably this week. Uh, is is it kind of a case of the offense executing more around Lamar in in recent weeks? Do you, is that what's going on here? Uh, or or is he playing better as well? I know this past week happened, and I'm kind of ignoring that, and that was kind of weird. Um... The thing with the thing with the fumbles for everything I've just said about Lamar Jackson being a fantastic, perfect, amazing quarterback. Ah. That guy just like doesn't hold the ball. Like no, he, <laughs> he, yeah. he, he, well, he kind of like, uses it as an extra rut, rushing weapon, doesn't he? Yeah, like, teasing he, defenders. Yeah, and it's not even just that. Like, he, well, he did have a fumble like that, um, like kind of in the pocket where he was trying to do something weird with the ball like three, four weeks ago, and he ended up fumbling. And it's like I don't know what you're trying to do. But then also, like, he just historically has like weird mesh exchange problems, mm. and like 
I kind of get that. Like when they were first running the Greg Roman offense like a while back, but like he's done this for five, six years now. He did it in college um, and he's doing it with a lot of the same backs. Like I think they had against Detroit, there was one with, I think Gus Edwards. And it's like, you've, you've given this handoff to the, you, you've done the mesh exchange with this guy plenty of times. Why can't you hold on to the ball? Um, I think there's just a little bit of like, sometimes Lamar, thinks he sees the perfect play so he can be a little bit indecisive about when to give the ball right. and that gives you some problems and then like you mentioned that sometimes he just uses it as a weapon as a weapon so his achilles heel is just literally holding onto the ball like yeah. that's the only problem he has yeah. so sometimes i feel like he, he doesn't even know if he's gonna keep it or not until like the very no. last millisecond <laughs> yeah he, he's like trying to like squeeze every ounce of life out of every play and, and sometimes you, you get a fumble sometimes yeah he's he's so sudden as well like maybe he's too sudden for himself I, I don't know. <laughs> um now run game wise the i was just watching back how seattle uh, gave up some explosives uh, in the ground game to cleveland and even just some like solid chunk runs and quite a bit of that was kind of gun uh split zone um where the threat of the quarterback being a, a keeper of pj walker was was like genuine and the way that they run their nickel over front, there's only like so many buttons they can press in, before they get in trouble. Uh, and they ended up having to kind of cheat the play. Some of their keys looked a bit off on it as well. Because it was, it was like Y off split zone. Um, like YY or just 20 personnel. D d is that something that the... Are the Ravens like predominantly like a gun run game? Or is, how much of like a Roman carryover is there? I know Monken's kind of from what I've seen, is more kind of a gun-oriented guy. He's living in the 21st century with it. Yeah, it, it's definitely a lot of gun. They don't do a whole lot of under center. They do a, a, a good amount of pistol, which, uh, you know, obviously can function like under center. And I think that's how they get to a lot of their, like, gap scheme plays. Outside of, like, when, when they're in true gun, like, they'll do some GT every now and then, um, which I think is pretty good for them. But I think they actually have had a little bit of issues. Like, it's still a, a good run game, but I do think there has been, like, a little bit of a drop-off just in terms of, like, when you're for five or six years, you know, constantly in 21 personnel or 12 personnel or 13 personnel, the offensive line is, like, the whole operation is kind of used to being able to function in that in that realm. And now they do a lot more of 11, or sometimes it'll be, like, gun 12 with Ricard on the field with wh whatever you want to call him, fullback or tight end or yeah. whatever. So... I think just being a little bit lighter in the run game has been like a little bit of a weird transition for them, but they still kind of do a lot of the same stuff. It just doesn't look as, as heavy as I think it has in the past. Yeah. I know Griff, you're, you're a big proponent of pistol for how it obfuscates tenancies. Uh, Seattle's, I think part of the reason they've been so effective fitting the run out of their nickel, like forefront, same look each time, essentially up front is because they're really good at getting pre-snap tendencies and and uh, the indicators for what type of run they're getting so yeah uh griff do you think we see like max fit quarters to to play lamar like how how do we let like, the threat of lamar's keeping the football how, do you think they do you anticipate any changes maybe i mean honestly i do feel like they go they they dip into their penny package and then live with that problem that you talked about of the of, of of having to deal with fast threes or or getting that mm. outside linebacker walked out or conflicted i think they 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 scheme their supplementary calls to offset those things but i do think that can be 
the weakness. I just feel like it's the most conservative way to try to at least stay sound against Lamar. Mm. Um, I mean, if yeah, they get Daniel Jones, you know. Mm. And for the for the listener, Penny is just the the Vic Fangio term for nickel bear, where you have five guys down at the line of scrimmage, but uh, five DBs out on the field, um, which is a bit more speed and context being. Uh, Pete Carroll, whenever he faced mobile quarterbacks in the past, literally because of Vince Young uh, doing him dirty in the Rose Bowl, he he moved to more bare front looks uh, where you can run a th- yeah, we, we, uh, bare kind of look. We we could see max fit quarters though. I mean that would be they, they did more things out of quarters and nickel last week. Yeah, I couldn't. I can't work out if Jamal Adams is just in, well. Jamal Adams is definitely a maniac. But I couldn't work out if he was being a maniac or was like actually schemed to to do some of the stuff he did in in that uh, Cardinals uh, game, Browns uh, game. I have because to, um... because the implication there is that the weak when they're in their too high shell, the weak quarter safety is no longer the primary run fitter. But it just seems like he's getting involved anyway because he's yeah. Jamal Adams, he's, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I will they... say, I will say, max fit quarters really sounds like a Zay Flowers game. To me, that would be my biggest concern. Um, right. it, it probably would help with the run game, but that sounds like a Zay Flowers game to me. Yeah, yeah, they're getting play actioned on that hard. I'd be worried about that. Um, and um, that that will be interesting as well because one kind of button that Seattle presses is they will just send the nickel, which is something um you you noticed, Derek. Um, how they send the nickel against the run. Um, to kind of basically play they basically play cover zero to one side of the formation and split the field in half uh and get an extra guy to to the ball uh the handoff if like baltimore can find a wrinkle with like this kind of skill set of zay flowers because on that brown third and three play there's stuff that it would have been interesting to see elijah moore given a different route it seems teams always just attach a slant like maybe we could do something else i don't know yeah, no, I, I think that's honestly, I would be like a little bit scared to do that against uh, against the Ravens, unless unless what they want to do, because, you know, I think when I noticed it, they were really blitzing the back a lot, especially um, if the back was like to a, a two receiver side, because yeah. um, they were really just trying to like kind of push the fit towards where the running back is supposed to go. And then you have the backside, the, the nickel kind of rushing in from the backside. Mm-hmm. I think if they do that, they're going to have to have the nickel like charge the mesh point, whereas like typically you know, when, when I noticed it against Cincinnati, Joe Burrow's not keeping the ball. Like, it, he's just not really doing that. So, the you know, uh, Devin Witherspoon could kind of just tee off and go for the running back and try to get into the backfield, chase the play down from behind. I think if they're going to do some of that against Baltimore, you have to charge the mesh point or kind of just make him the quarterback player um, and not really have as much, like, backside cutoff as he, as he might have been when they were doing that previously. So, yeah, yeah. Um What's nice for Seattle is that they face Josh Dobbs, who is sneaky mobile, um, and they do well. They did, R.I.P. Josh Dobbs. They did use him as a a runner and his, as a rushing threat, and that was part of their run game. Then they've just faced P.J. Walker, so they've had a nice kind of uh, backup quarterback Lamar Jackson preparation, <laughs> the practice squad <laughs> version. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so there you go. Uh, okay. Griff, you done with the offense? Yeah, onto the good stuff now. The good stuff, the the or the yeah, the defense, the, real the stuff yeah, that the real, matters. Yeah. <laughs> so, Derek, how good is uh, Mike McDonald, the defense coordinator? Because this 
I don't know, like it's like you mentioned at the top of the show, the talent doesn't match the results, or maybe I just don't pay enough attention to teams around the league. No, it, it doesn't. Like, if you looked at this team on paper, you would think, and I even talked to, like, some uh, some of my friends who are Ravens fans and just, like, other Ravens analysts, and they were like, yeah, McDonald's good, and we have some players, but they'll probably be, like, a kind of above-average defense. But you look at them now, and, like, they might be the best defense in the league. Um, And I think it's like we mentioned earlier, like McDonald is just he's pressing all the right buttons. Um, And I think the biggest thing to me is like his calling card, in my opinion, is um, the way that he sends his pressures, his creepers, his simulated, all that sort of stuff. Um, But it the crazy thing about it and like why I mentioned it feels like he's pressing all the right buttons is he doesn't like overdo it. And he's not getting to a point where it feels like you're a little bit unsound in terms of like sending pressures on downs that maybe aren't, you know, uh, uh, passing downs and stuff like that. It feels like he's always kind of making the, the offense like wait on the moment. Like they don't actually know when he's going to bring it. And then when he does bring it, I think they just do a good, a great job of disguising it. And because of the way that they're getting play out of like Kyle Hamilton, um, I think that kind of really helps being able to cap some of the blitzes. And then obviously you have Rokon Smith behind it too. Like when you're giving up extra space in the middle because you're you're sending extra bodies, like Roquan, other than Fred Warner, just has like he's the best guy in terms of erasing space over the middle. So in that sense, I think Mike McDonald has really done a good job of using his best two players to like kind of unlock the rest of the the front and like pass rush to do what it needs to do. And I think that's really been the calling card of, of why this defense is so good. Yeah, yeah Roquan's I, nuts. Go ahead, Griff. Dude, I, I mean, yeah, I was going to talk about Roquan, but also Kyle Hamilton. I mean, what what a player! Uh, he he awesome. could do he could do so much out of the slot. I mean, he's kind of like a, a schematic linchpin for them, isn't he? A hundred percent. Like he he literally can do everything. I mean, they'll they'll put him in the slot and bless it, and blitz him. They'll use him at safety, and then he'll cap um, somebody else who's blitzing. Like they, they'll roll him down to like fit into you know where the other guys are coming from. Like he just. Yeah. And he can man up on tight ends. Like, he's just an unbelievable, unbelievable player. Um, and, like, I'm glad that he didn't get pigeonholed into just being this guy who's who's going to sit back and play split safety stuff all the time. Like, he can do that, obviously. But the fact that they're using him all over, like, to me, he other than Roquan, he, he's the most important player on the defense just because it feels like it's what we said with Derwin James for, for like, a long time where I don't think he's quite as good as Pete Derwin. But it's like because he can do all these sort of different things for you and be like a true weapon, it kind of lets everybody else slot into whatever their best role is. Like, I think it's that's true of both Hamilton and Roquan Smith. Like, I think that's a huge reason why Patrick Queen has really come on is because like just send him all the time and they can simplify (laughs) his coverage responsibilities because of everything that Roquan and Kyle Hamilton can do. And they can get to these schematic answers that don't really ask as much of Queen, which I think has been huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, is Queen so is Queen just like their creeper guy? Like you just send yeah. him as that weak side backer and he's he's going to eat? A hundred percent. Like he he's their guy who they want to get blitzing and he does a fantastic job at it. He can really move and I think he's gotten stronger um the longer he's been in the league. I will say I I think this year they've actually done a little bit more of like mixing up between who is coming between him and Roquan. Like mm-hmm. I, I do think Patrick Queen has gotten a little bit better in coverage, and I think he's learned from Roquan in a sense of like really understanding like what windows are supposed to be open and, you know, how to close them behind him and stuff. And I think you can see a little bit of that in his play. He's still not as good as Roquan. And so when they send Roquan Smith and queen is the one in coverage, it's not like quite as sound, 
because sure. he's just not quite as good. But it's like a really good tendency breaker. And that's, again, one of the things that makes McDonald so good is that he's really good at kind of breaking his own tendencies. And, like, again, it, it feels like he's always making the offense think about what is the next thing that's coming so they can't really get comfortable the way that they want to. For sure. So... On, on a similar vein, how kind of Kyle Hamilton, and I always wondered, like, is the fact he's so tall, does that does that kind of make weird people out about his role? Like, I always feel, because it looks so unusual, it's not typical for, like, a, a DB to be that tall and play safety, people kind of overthink what he can do or, or, or limit what he can do. Um, yeah. Anyway, but in a similar vein to how uh, Queen's kind of been freed up to focus on what he's doing, is that how Geno Stone leads the league with five interceptions. Like, how are they using him? Is he mainly playing in the post or, or like, as a court safety? I don't know. I mean, they play a lot of split field stuff, so he, he yeah. kind of does do a, a lot of split field stuff. But I think, and he actually, when they do, like, go to single high, he does do a lot of the single high stuff. But they actually kind of interchangeably use their safeties a lot, which, again, they're just kind of doing a lot of stuff. They just kind of throw everything at the board against offenses, which mm-hmm. I think is huge. But Geno Stone is, I think, a guy who, because he's so smart, like Geno Stone is not that good of an athlete. And he really wasn't coming out of Iowa. Like he, he's kind of a guy who has always been, even when he was with the Ravens, like I think a couple of years ago um, before they had like cut him or, or something like that. Um, he's a really good tackler. He's a smart player. But when the other pieces aren't around him all that much, like it, it, you kind of just end up surrendering and asking him to cover too much space. I think because they have Hamilton now, Marlon Humphrey is back, which is like kind of freed up a lot of space in a sense. And then Roquan Smith can do so much eating space over the middle that he doesn't have to feel pressure to come down and like save his linebacker. I think that's right. kind of freed Geno Stone up to, to really just kind of play with really comfortable and confident vision and, and trust that the guys around him are going to do stuff and he can actually trigger the way that he needs to for a guy who is not all that athletic. And I think that's, he's kind of been one of those guys who has fallen into a really good supplementary role in this defense. So in terms of the, we've we, we talked about the creepers, which for um, listeners is essentially uh a four-man rush, but you're you're dropping a non-traditional. You're you're dropping a traditional rusher and replacing them with a, a traditional rusher in very uh, simple terms. Um, is that all? How Justin Madubuike is leading all NFL interior defensive linemen with six and a half sacks, or is he, you know, actually doing some good stuff out there? Because this pass rush on paper, again, talking on paper, football games aren't won on paper or played on paper, but it at the start of the season was like who's the guy this is a clear weakness they're not going to get many sacks like you can't live in pressure um and even if they're doing pressure schemes by rushing just four people like how how is this happening (laughs) i actually think he's just like become a really really good player and in a lot of ways like he along with a lot of the stuff that mcdonald does in terms of, of scheming up pressure it it's almost like a ripple effect where like because they're able to get so much pressure from the middle with Matabuike, he like he's unbelievably explosive for a guy his size. Um, so between that and some of the blitzes that they send and, and how they time them and all that sort of stuff, it almost like creates these this like easier one on ones and like easier opportunities that they can exploit on the outside for guys like Jadavian Clowney, Kyle Van Noy, Odafe Owe a little bit when he's been healthy, that sort of stuff. So I really think Matabuike has just kind of been like. A, a car bomb in the middle for defenses and it's kind of unlocked he's he's kind of been part of the reason that the the pass rush has been unlocked because 
like you said, like when you looked at this roster before coming into the season, it was like, all right, where's the juice coming from? Right, <laughs> um, but right. Matt Weekend really stepped up. And so um, overall, like they, it's, it's a very untraditional pass rush, right? Like they don't really have a star edge rusher. They rotate guys all the time on the edge. They, they send a bunch of creepers and stuff. But because they have Matt Weekend in the middle and because their two linebackers are some of the best at blitzing, like they just it, it, it works. Yeah. And uh, on the on the clowny note, um, I mean, he's not I mean, he's a guy who loves the cross face, right? Like he oh, loves yeah. his it's like it's almost like all the if he can beat you inside the shoulder. He's going to do yeah. it. <laughs> and, and if you think with often blitz design, pressure design, you you want you there's often a line slant involved. Right. So it's almost like perfect for him because he can just spam yes. like what he's already really good at. Um, exactly. It's kind of he's like found a perfect home. Now, do they stand him up though, and like have him like spin around a lot, or is he just is he like line like does he have his gap hand in dirt type of thing? They actually don't do quite as much spinner stuff as I thought they were going to, which is weird because like when Clowney was was at his best in Houston, like mm -hmm. he was awesome at that. Like he was right. so so good at, at being able to go attack guards and centers and stuff um, right. with stuff like that, but. They actually don't do quite as much of that as I thought they were going to. They still use him on that because, like, that's ultimately what he does really well at. But a lot of it is just, like, I just think he's kind of playing really, really well beating tackles this year. And then, like you said, yeah. trying to cross face. And, like, the thing that Clowney actually does really well when he crosses face is there are a lot of guys who try, who try to cross face and then, like, all they do is get, like, washed down and it, it doesn't really do yeah. anything and it doesn't affect the pocket. Clowney, when he goes inside, he's going to make – space for somebody like he's gonna crush yeah. the guard he's still gonna like cave in the tackle even if he doesn't necessarily win like he's just a, a guy who buys space for other people yeah. even if he's not necessarily winning which is why like i think he's always been a guy who isn't very high sack but he's still when you watch him you're like god that guy's really annoying to play against it's and disruptor. he's doing a lot of that yeah. in baltimore yeah. he gets so skinny in between the gaps too like yeah. he gets so narrow and like and like you said like he can stay on his feet too when he does yeah. it um yeah, cool player. It's cool that he's found a, uh, a team that is maybe finally getting the most out of him. He's been a productive player pretty much everywhere he's gone, but th this has been the coolest iteration of him for sure, at least since the Houston teams anyway. 100%. It's like uh, Van Noy and Clowney's 2016 like, NFL. Yeah. It's <laughs> crazy. But it, from, from hearing you talk about uh, this defense, it seems like each one of the players is being used in a really smart way for their skill set. And vice versa hand in hand they really suit the scheme like it's a kind of nice marriage um yeah i'm sure there'll be some copying going on after the season uh griff did you have anything on the defense or are you ready for the the exciting moment the most exciting moment uh i i think we can transition to to the other side of it here now okay so gino smith derek now we need to see your quarterback rankings after another two interception performance. I'm nervous, but I know uh, <laughs> in the previous week, he was your ninth ranked quarterback ahead of Tua, Joe Burrow, Kirk Cousins. Where's he at now? <laughs> he in, in, in some sense, it, okay, so he's 10th now, but not because he moved down necessarily. I just moved Joe Burrow back up into the top 10 because okay, I had Burrow at 11 fine. because he was like, Okay, we're, not we're playing that. up to his up to his standard um but i moved burrow back up to like eight or, or seven or something like that so it bumped you know down a little bit but still top 10 quarterback i still think he's better than um you know tua and, and like Kirk cousins is behind him and 
I don't even know necessarily who's what after that. I guess it's like Jared Goff and like Brock Purdy, but like so, he's obviously better than those players. Here's a question: What happens when someone gets Kirked or Aaron Rodgers? How how long does it take before they're removed from your rankings? So the way I the way they asked me to do it is I just rank whoever is starting that week, which can get a little bit tricky because like by the time I write it, you don't necessarily know if injured players are going to end yeah, up. Yeah, like, like Kyler Murray is going to cause a headache. Yeah, and like I had written like three Deshaun Watson things in a row, and then he just <laughs> like didn't play <laughs> for a bunch right. of those games. So I was like, okay. Um, but so it's just supposed to be who, whoever is starting. So Kirk is is sadly gone, and we have uh, I think I wrote Josh Dobbs this week, even though I guess he's technically not supposed to be starting. But um, so yeah, Kirk, rest in peace, Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. So Gino's tenth, and that's cool. Now, in the off-season reception perception podcast you did, uh, given you chart their quarterbacks, you said, Geno Smith is the real deal. The film and the charting agree on this one. We also agree on that one. Uh, but has has his 2023 season so far, I mean, he's 10th ranked, so probably not, but are you, is there any concerns you have about this? Um, I know there's talk that... Like I mentioned, his he's he's always been bad. Like he's always been that guy. Just look how he was in New York. <laughs> and uh, our timelines are pretty abysmal, stuff like that. But yeah, where are you out of Gino? I, I'm still incredibly impressed with him. And, and and I will say, like, part of it is maybe just the way that he plays is like that's just how a quarterback should play. Like I, I don't know how to we like, talk about that every time. He's yeah. he's the He's the when you sat at your desk, like not taking the live bullets. You're like, yes, that's exactly how I think you should play quarterback in the NFL because that's how I've learned the position. Yeah, it's not like it, Mahomes <laughs> where Kels, Kelsey and him are drawing plays up in the dirt. You're like, I, I don't know how to explain this. This is this is mental. It works. He's mental. Or or Russell Wilson when he was in Seattle, and I think for us as well, we have that exposure. Uh, well, yeah, it's an exposure bias. If we saw Russ do crazy improvisational things, now we've got Gino. Where, Oh my gosh, he's a normal quarterback. Like this is amazing. <laughs> and I just I just love guys who play like that, who who play yeah. within the structure of an aggressive offense and like push it to its absolute limit. Like that's why I've loved watching Stafford play with the Rams. Um e- even this year when like the numbers have not been that good, he was playing awesome, awesome football. Um, well we Dak saw against like, Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. At, Dak has been playing like this for for a long time where he's just yep. a guy who's willing to like yeah, man, I'll throw down the scene four times a game. Like, I don't care if it's covered, yeah. man. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm better um, than he's you. Just, yeah, he's like, it's literally just I'm better than you quarterbacking. Like, this is supposed to be open. And even if it's not, I'm going to make it open. And I think right. why that works with Gino is, well, for two reasons. I think, one, Gino plays with, like, exceptional timing. It, it, like, the way that he times up his footwork, the way that he doesn't, like, have any fat in what he's doing Um even when he's getting to like second and third progressions, he's just always on time. Um, and, and I think that that's really, really valuable. And then just arm talent. Like he, he can, he doesn't have like the biggest arm, but he, he has probably a top 10 arm in the league and like, he can really zip it into tight windows. And then just from an accuracy perspective and my charting showed this in uh, when I charted everyone over the off season, like he was my most accurate quarterback. And when you watch him, it feels that way. Like every single throw is just like, Ah, you can't place it any better than that. Like I watched um, the game from this past weekend. Like the ball he threw to DK down the left sideline was, was just like absolutely perfect. And then there were a couple of slants where he's just like putting it on the money. Some of the dig routes he throws are are like you you couldn't 
you couldn't like yeah. make it any better if you wanted to. Like he's just, yeah. he's just the way that he plays the position is so cool. And like, he's probably never going to tap into that elite tier because he just doesn't have some of the creativity and some of the athletic ability that, that guys like Allen and, and Jackson and um, Mahomes have. But like in, in terms of playing quarterback the right way, there's just not many guys who do it better. Like I, I'm, some of the two interception games or whatever. I, I don't care, man. Like he's he's playing incredible football. I'm sold. Yeah. You can <laughs> well, if, if you insist, Derek. I'm, yeah. I'm preaching well, to the choir here. I'm, I'm, I'm well aware. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't have this in the agenda, Derek. But if you were you, you had the dreamy position of coordinating an offense with Geno Smith as your quarterback. How would you go about attacking what uh, Mike McDonald does on defense, what the Ravens pose? Um, yeah. The, I know uh, this is technically like kind of a, a Geno question, but really I think the biggest thing that I would do against uh, Mike McDonald is like gap runs. And so like I'll try to talk about the passing game in a second, but I think gap runs like – I don't know if Seattle is that big in them. I don't really remember them being that big of a gap team when I watched them. Um, but I think you saw it last week against um, the Ravens where the Cardinals were kind of getting after the Ravens with gap runs. Because the thing is, for as much as I love Roquan Smith and for as much as I think Patrick Queen have, have, has gotten better as an NFL linebacker, those dudes don't want to take on blocks. Like they just, Roquan is going to find a way to get around it or just not take it on if he has to. And then Patrick Queen, oh, I think yeah, he's gotten he's, a little bit stronger, but yeah, he nah. does He's going to get eaten if a guard can take him on correctly. So um, I, I think that's probably the best way overall to attack this defense. And then really, I think that just kind of allows you to get into some of your play action stuff that you want to do and really attack them down the field because I do think that that's probably the best way to get at this Ravens defense if you can um attack them down the field like marlon humphrey is awesome but like he's gonna bite on some stuff sometimes um and then like i mentioned with gino stone like he's playing really well and he's a smart player but if you if you can kind of get him to hesitate you know a little bit and you can really get into down in distances where he doesn't feel like he can just play pass which which the ravens are like constantly in down in distances where they feel like they can play pass and that mm -hmm. that has helped and so i think if they can get into a more balanced situation that's really going to help them kind of combat a lot, really a lot of what the Ravens want to do. Because what do the Ravens do best? They mix up their coverages a lot. They play a lot of too high. Um, and they send a lot of like pressure stuff at you. Okay, we'll run the ball. <laughs> run at the linebackers that don't want to take on blocks. Right. Well, that sounds exciting. And um, at least when you're doing gap stuff, when Kenneth Walker bounces it out, there is um, often a puller leading. <laughs> well, and, and uh they use gap pretty much just for that reason. Like they use gap as a supplemental, like front beater type thing. Like the, mm -hmm. they like to have it on hand. They often check to it sometimes. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if like Ken Walker takes a trap run for, for 30 yards. I'm not saying it will happen, but if something, if anything wacky like that hap happens this game, I, I could see it coming um, off of that uh, principle. Um, mm. And they have a, they have a really high, well, not really high, but they're Griff, you'd, know the numbers off the top of your head better than me their early down pass rate's been high and i wonder what point or if they are gonna ever tendency change on that um because especially the turnovers and the fact that the run game has been f well actually with walker it hasn't been that efficient but with charbonnet it has <laughs> i don't know they might lean into that we will see 
I honestly would say I would like to see a little bit of a, a Charbonnet game because, like I said, like if you can get a little bit more gap runs and if you can be a little bit more efficient, that does feel like the way to to keep Baltimore out of out of their best stuff. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, Walker's just that addictive thing of he's going to hit one, so we're going to keep mm-hmm. pushing <laughs> and hoping, and there it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, la- the, the last thing I want to say about the Seahawks offense is that it feels that they have like the 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 highest ratio of like being a good offense that also has the most plays where it's like why are you like this like I love Gino but like he has some plays where it's like why are you like that Ken Walker has a lot of plays where it's like what why are you like that and then DK yeah. Metcalf has like so yeah, many man. plays where it's like why are you like this and then yeah. they're still well, like a top eight offense and it doesn't matter. Right. Well, and then, and then Tyler Lockett has his weird quirk of refusing to get yards after the catch. Yes. Down, for self-preservation <laughs> yes. reason. But it's like, oh, he caught, a, he caught a horizontal route in Stroud, in stride. That's awesome. Oh, he just gave himself up. Yep. You know, but uh, you know yeah. what? The, he's a, the only he's perfect a person in this himself. offense is Jake Bobo. True. No, com- <laughs> no complaints about Jake Bobo. <laughs> he hasn't been tainted yet. Okay. Derek, you've been very generous with the time. You've been an absolute expert on the Ravens, and you are also uh, an NFL expert. So do check out Derek's work. Like I mentioned, 33rd team, Bleach Report, and Reception Perception. Do you have anything else that you'd like to plug? I see you've got a Jameer Gibbs breakout article out, which I, I need to read. Yeah, I, I will say go read that. I thought Gibbs, um, basically the, the crux of the article is that it was the first time he looked efficient explosive and did it on a bunch of carries in in any game this season like he'd kind of done a little bit of all that at certain points but never together and so i think the fact that he did it all at once was was awesome so yeah i would say go read that um you already mentioned all the other places i write it uh or i write you can find me on twitter at qb class and then uh i would say everybody go watch uh the 2023 world championship league of legends there you go (laughs) when is that derek uh the the finals is in a few weeks quarterfinals will be tomorrow technically it is in korea so it starts at like 1 a.m pacific yeah. time so don't really like actually watch it live necessarily <laughs> uh, but... well well for me that's perfect yeah for yeah. you for you it's I'll actually wake up great with some cereal. Yeah, wake up. there you go you no yeah what's that lovely derek yeah, what, what uh what, what team do you support or is it even like that do you just do you just like to see what happens yeah expose yourself you can't uh, be a fan my, my favorite team in North America is 100 Thieves. They did not make the World Championship this mm. year. My my team to root for at the World Championship has been LNG. They're, they're a Chinese team, okay. and I think their mid laner is just like... It, it's almost the Geno thing where it's like he just plays the game the right way. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I just enjoy watching it. Okay. I love it. I'm taking I notes here. But unfortunately, you've lost all credibility as a League of Legends analyst now because you're clearly biased. I mean, I'm fine with that. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in live. Uh, Please do like the video, subscribe to the channel if you're listening, five-star review. Follow Griff at CMikeSpinMove. Follow me at Matty F. Brown. And follow the podcast at Seattle Overload, where we tweet out when we're going live. And sometimes we're late, but we've guessed we've been on time. So we're we're doing a good job. Uh, Thank you so much again. And Jeremy with the live comment. Thank you, Griff. (laughs) Had to throw that in there. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And we will see you all on Thursday with a film review of the Cleveland Browns victory. We need to pick our key topics. If you want to know about that game, then 
tweet us with what you want to know about. Thank you very much and have a good rest of your day, evening, night, morning, whatever.